James chapter 5. We're coming to be in the middle of the chapter. The uh, book of James is a practical book on uh, on, a, on Christian living, so it's a, it's a shorter book, uh, touches a lot of subjects, and James uh, was the half-brother of Jesus, uh, but like, you know, like others in the Bible, if you look uh, at the first verse of the book, it says, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, he doesn't say uh, James, the, ha- the brother of Christ or anything else, he says he's a servant, you know, and you can tell uh, where his heart was, and uh, and his heart was changed because, well, uh, especially early on in the, the ministry of Jesus Christ, he was not with them. He was, uh, you know, like his other brethren. They were, uh, you just don't see where they're agreeing. You don't see where they're they're following and things until uh, the first time you really see James had changed is after the resurrection. And you think about that uh, when it lists who Jesus saw uh, James is listed in there that the resurrected Jesus uh, sought out James and, and appeared to him. And I believe that changed his life. You know, uh, you know, he saw the miracles. He heard Jesus teach and different things like that. He lived with them growing up and, and, and those things didn't move him. But but Jesus raising from the dead moved him. And you think about that. That's the same thing that moved us. You know, uh, people can do uh, magic tricks and different things else and and, uh, you know, and all sorts of things and and talk uh they try to uh talk uh, you know persuasively and different things like that and uh, it may move you a little bit but i tell you what no man has ever raised from the dead but except for jesus christ or someone that he has touched and i'm thankful that we serve a god that's alive but james then becomes one of the leaders uh of the early church and especially the church in jerusalem uh so he's uh he wrote this book uh, it's inspired uh, and, and one of the things at the beginning he talks about early on is how our works, how we, uh, the things that we do, uh, the way we conduct ourselves needs to match our relationship with Christ. You know, he says, uh, what's he talk about? Faith without works is dead. You know, how how is anyone going to see what's inside of you if it's not coming out? You know, if you're not trusting him, putting your faith in him, uh, living righteously and doing the things he's called us to do, how is anyone going to see what's on the inside? Because haven't you seen people like that? You say, well, you know, you ask whether so-and-so is saved. Well, maybe they are. I don't know. They kind of say they are, but it doesn't really look like it. And that's what he's talking Talking about early on uh, in the book, um, but then in chapter three, he's he's talking about godly living and uh, talking about the tongue specifically, how hard it is to tame, and how much uh, uh, how much destruction you know just our mouth can cause uh, that it's capable of doing. We can't ever speak perfectly, but that shouldn't uh, that shouldn't stop us from trying to uh, tame the tongue as best as we can and use it for blessings. Uh, and not for cursings. And then at the beginning of chapter 5, he, he begins with talking about the problem of trusting in riches. And we, I, I'm sure you've seen a lot of people that have trusted in money and riches and investments and everything else. They're getting let down right now. They're getting, uh, some of them are getting afraid. I don't know if I can retire. I don't know. You start hearing things like that because they're putting their trust in those things and those things are failing. And he, he tells us the folly of that in the beginning of chapter 5. And then at the end of James chapter 5, very, uh, very popular passage, you know, where 
heart. Is there any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. And then is there any sick among you? We use that over and over again to anoint uh, those that are sick. And we know it's not in the oil, but it's in the prayers of the faith. You know, that's what uh, that's what God. Uh, I love verse 16 at the end. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I love that, you know, especially you think about on a prayer meeting night where we, uh, you know, we think about prayer a little more and think of how much that it avails, how much uh, it moves God when we uh, pray in faith, uh, uh, those of us that are righteous that do that. But in, instead of looking at that piece or the beginning piece uh, about riches, I want to look kind of in the middle of chapter five, a little section that probably gets skipped over a lot to get down to the end part. But James uh, chapter five, we're going to start in verse seven. It says this, be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Uh, and that's where we're going to stop right there. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its truth. And Lord, I pray that you'd help me tonight to be able to preach. Lord, fill me with the unction of the Holy Spirit. Lord, give us uh, something, Lord, that we can uh, that we can use and meditate on and draw use to draw closer to you. Lord, we ask that you would do the teaching tonight. Lord, that you'd help us convict where it needs to. And Lord, give us the grace to be able to do what your word is uh, challenging us to do. Lord, I thank you for all things. And in Jesus' name we pray. And amen. So in verse 7, he's saying, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long endurance for it until he receive the early and latter rain. So one of the things we've uh, kind of preached uh, recently, we were talking about Noah's day and Lot's day and how the signs that they're approaching, we're seeing them all. Uh, like I said, I can't find a single sign uh, of anything to look for in Noah or Lot's day uh, that we don't see here today. So the question is, what is a Christian supposed to do? If we're in the latter days, the last days, whatever you want to call it, if they're approaching, uh, if the return of the Lord to get his church uh, meeting in the air with him, if that is coming close because of the signs, what is a Christian supposed to do? James tells us, be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but patience is a dirty word, isn't it, in the church? People don't even like to mention it. They don't like to think about it or say it or anything else. Uh, you know, nobody, hardly anybody I know wants to invite a trial unto, onto themselves, right? They're begging for it or anything like that. Uh, but I don't believe God is telling us to pray for patient, but he's saying, I want you to be patient. Do you see that? Uh, he's saying, you know, and we think about patience and trials and that that is one area of patience. But here in this verse, I think he's talking about a different patience, a patience and persevering and continuing on and not quitting and see here's the thing uh, if you haven't noticed and maybe uh, you're getting a little bit like this as well our society wants everything immediately 
right? They want it right there as quick as possible. No waiting for anything. Uh, no waiting for uh, a reward. They want immediate rewards, immediate gratification. You know, I want a pat on the back as soon as I do, you know, what I'm told. As soon as I do what my job is, I want uh, praise for it, even though that's just my job and I, I need to be doing it. I don't know if you've seen that, but I've seen it uh, over the years. Uh, but hey, Christians are not, we're not to conform to the world, right? We're not to, uh, to act like them. We're not to do those things things we are to be patient and we get an example in the second half of the verse the husbandman uh, which is another word for farmer waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until they receive the early and latter rain and you think about the farmers what do they do they wait patiently for the harvest because they plant and it is months and months and months depending on the crop until they can harvest it. There is a long time in between. They have to be patient. But if you know anything about farming or you've read a book about farming or watch TV, uh, watch shows about farming or anything else, you know uh, that the patience of a farmer is not a passive thing, right? They don't just uh, uh, plant the seed and then say, well, we'll just see what happens and just stand around and watch it. No, they're working every day at something. You know, they're uh, even before you can plant, they're getting the ground ready. They're they're tilling it up if they need to. They're working on machinery that might be broken. They're, uh, you know, buying the seed. They're getting uh, once it's planted, then they get fertilizer, maybe uh, some spray to keep the weeds and the bugs out and and just all sorts of different things they're doing uh, throughout the entire time. It is an active patience. Right? They're, they're working all the time, yet they're waiting for the end result. They're waiting for that harvest. So every day as they're doing these things to get ready, and then finally, uh, when they're able to harvest it, it's a rush to do it a lot of times. And then they get that crop, and then they've got to transport it, either uh, keep it uh, themselves or sell it or different things. Uh, and you think about that. Remember the children of Israel as they were coming out of bondage, coming out of Egypt, God brings them to the Red Sea. Uh, and then they've got, uh, you know, Pharaoh and his army behind them. They've got the Red Sea in front of them. They're trapped. There's nowhere to go. And what's God saying? He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But you know what I like is the very next, uh, right after that, he says, now go. Basically, he's saying, now I want you to, uh, you know, stop praying. And I want you to walk across uh, the Red Sea that I've parted for you, the dry land. And you think about that. Uh, a lot of times we like to say the stand still part, but we don't like a, a minute later where he says okay now walk all the way to the other side it's a passive patience versus the active patience i'm going to do uh, what god's called me to do and here's the same thing i believe as a christian i'll give you an example what do we do at church we pray for more laborers right i wish we had more help more help in junior church more help uh, sunday school more help doing different things uh, we pray for laborers and god tells us to do that uh, but then sometimes we just sit down after that right we're praying for something and then we just well i'm going to wait for god to just drop it out of the sky for me and a lot of times that's not what he's saying you know what he says the husbandman, the, the farmer, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. Remember, working all the way until he received the early and latter rain. You know what? There is nothing that farmer can do to make the rain come or to make it come early or late or not at all. He can't do anything, right? But he gets everything ready for once the rain to come, it'll do its work. 
And I believe that's the same thing for you and I. There are things that, uh, there are a lot of things that are out of our control. You know, for, you know it is God building the church. It is, it is him that saves souls and convicts hearts. It's not, we can't save uh, people ourselves. There's a lot of things in our, our life that are out of our control. But on the flip side, there are things that are in control. And I believe as we're trusting God for different things, as we're uh, taking these burdens and prayers and different things to God, and I believe he also wants us not just to pray but once we say amen I'm going to get ready as if God's going to answer that prayer why because I trust him right I I believe him I, I I am looking to him for the promises that he's made so then the question is what are you praying for right now what are the desires of your heart are you patiently waiting or are you mad at God because he's too late now if you're patiently waiting is it an active patience and are we trusting God we need to that's what the farmer's doing But here's the thing. What's he saying? This whole context of verse seven is he's saying, be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. You know what he's saying? We're waiting for the Lord's return. We're waiting for him to call us home. Right. We're waiting for that moment. It could be at any time. We don't know. And here's the thing. There were some in in Thessalonica in that church that heard Paul preach about this very thing. They heard Paul say, hey, uh, the Lord's going to be coming back. You better be ready. You won't know when he's coming in an instant. He's just going to take us home. And you know what they did? Uh, Second Thessalonians 311. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly working not at all but are busybodies you know what they did they said well if the lord's going to come back if he's going to take us home any moment you know just any any time now in a moment in the twinkling of an eye i'm going to quit my job i'm not going to do any these things i'm just going to sit there and look towards the eastern sky uh, and then uh just wait for him to return and we'll just sit here and, and what happened they, they ended up, what do they do? Instead, they're gossiping instead while they're waiting. Uh, and he's telling them in that verse before it, he said, hey, if you don't work, you're not eating. That's what he said. You shouldn't be eating. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he he was telling them, hey, you need to be working while we're waiting for promises to be filled, fulfilled. Just like the farmer was working, waiting for the rain to come and waiting for the harvest. He's saying we need to be actively patient and waiting. Look at verse 8. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So while we're patiently waiting, while we're actively waiting, verse 8 tells us to establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And here's the thing. He's saying, hey, uh, uh, right, there's a patience on one hand that's active and we got to keep going. And here's the next type of patience. You need to establish yourself. You need to root yourself and be grounded in the faith. What happens with this world? As time passes, men's hearts change, don't they? They think one way, then they think another way. They love one thing, then they love something else. One way is right, and then it becomes wrong. Isn't that what we're dealing with? Uh, You know, you could call it political correctness or whatever. They are changing their minds every day, and it is hard for some of them to keep up with their own ever-changing things. It's kind of comical sometimes where uh, you laugh that someone who who would call themselves progressive in all of this all of a sudden then says something that they're not allowed to say, 
and then we chuckle like, see how hard it is? You can't even follow your made up uh, goofiness and political correctness. But as this world changes all the time and they call it evolving and everything else, even though they're going downhill, we cannot be like that. He's saying another part of patience is we need to establish our hearts. We need to be grounded in the truth. How do we do that? Number one, we do it with God's word. We get in our Bibles. We study to show ourselves approved. Uh, We hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against God. And most importantly, we apply it to our lives. That's how we get established in our hearts, rooted and grounded. Uh, And here's the thing. Uh, I've seen this before. You You might have grown up in the uh, in a church that had good doctrine and good beliefs and you you might believe the right way but here's the thing I want you to go a step further I want you to know why in God's word you believe the right way I want you to know why there are certain doctrines that we follow and we preach and teach over and over again because hey you may go off to college or you may meet somebody and they, they may be a slick talker. They may uh, uh, ask you questions you hadn't thought about. And then all of a sudden you thought you were rooted and grounded and then you're not rooted anymore. You've got to establish your hearts in the Bible. Not only that, we've got to get serious with prayer. And I've said it many times. I've seen it over and over in my life. Our, our lives are so busy. Uh, it is a constant struggle uh, uh, with prayer. I don't know if you've got the struggle, but it seems over and over again that the uh, that the devil's trying to keep us distracted. But here's the thing. What we've seen over and over again is the more we pray, the more we give him our burdens, the more we trust him, the more we see that he's faithful, the more we see that he answers our prayers, and then our faith grows and we trust him with more praying may causes us to pray more and more and more than service we serve the lord and that puts our faith to the test and when we trust god we see that he takes care of us he does everything that he said he would do uh, he makes good on all his promises and here's the thing I am convinced I, I've seen this for many years and, and have looked at people, especially young people, uh, the way that you get closest to the Lord and most grounded in your faith is you serve the Lord in some way. Because you look at the same two, uh, you may have two growing up, uh, you know, think about people you've seen and known over the years in church, maybe uh, two kids in the same family, grown up the same way, went to the same church, did all the same things. One of them got involved in some way in the church, one of them did not, and odds are, I'll tell you which one's still involved, which one's still uh, walking with God. It's because, hey, uh, you you start serving him, you're going to put that faith to the test, and you'll grow closer to the Lord. And then also being selfless, helping one another, praying for one another, discipling one another, bearing one another's burdens. That's why we're here. That's why he's put us together is so we can help one another. He says, I want you to establish your hearts. Be patient. Establish yourself. Why? Because the storms will come. The trials will come. The persecution will come. The afflictions will come. But the more rooted you are, the able, better able you'll be able to endure it. Just like the farmer's able to endure the long season, not knowing what's going to happen. He says, be patient, establish your hearts. So first be actively patient and waiting, then establish your hearts and waiting. And then now look at verse nine, grudge not one against another brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. And here's the thing. Waiting's hard, isn't it? 
Being patient, it's not easy. It's not natural. Uh, it's not something that we uh, want to do or like to do or continue to do. But I'll tell you what, being long-suffering is one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's, it's one of those fruits, uh, and it's not a fruit of the world. It's not one of those things that comes natural. Uh, but here's the thing. What happens when, we, uh, when things get hard or a situation happens, our patience starts to grow thin? What happens next? You know what happens. We start to mumble, we start to or murmur, we start to grumble, we start to argue, we start to gossip, we start to take it out on one another. What's he say right here? Grudge not, lest you be condemned, right? That's what he's saying. You know why? The judge, that's Jesus Christ that we're all going to stand before. Uh, he can hear it. He can hear the murmuring. He can hear the complaining. Uh, he can hear those things, whether it was the children of Israel doing it or whether it's the church doing it today. And we need to be the opposite. We need to encourage one another, build up one another, strengthen one another, edify one another in those times of waiting. And here's the thing. The devil can discourage so much easier if we're by ourselves, if we're isolated, if we're not working together, it's so much easier for him to discourage. He did that at different times. We see when men of God would get separated like Elijah, where that's where he hit his lowest point is when he left the others behind and he goes out by himself and he, he's not happy with what the scenario is. He's, he's, he's scared because Jezebel said, you're done. Uh, and he goes and he's under that juniper tree. You know, he's all by himself. And then he goes into the cave and he's in this deep, dark depression. But aren't you glad? One of the first things the Lord tells him in that still small voice is you are not alone. And that helped him uh, to rise up. That helped him to continue on and to do what he's called to do. I'm here to tell you, we're going to make it, church. We're going to keep on. We're going to be patient and continue on until the Lord calls us home. Verse 10. Well, we've got, so we've got being uh, actively patient and waiting, establishing our hearts and waiting, encouraging each other while we're waiting. And then verse, uh, verse 10 and 11, take my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. You know, you go through the Bible, you're reading through it, and I hope you read through it uh, every day if you can, uh, and go all the way through it and then start all over and do it again, but you will see over and over again examples of men and women that are patiently serving and trusting the Lord, even though all kinds of things are going wrong, uh, you know, whether it's Abraham and Sarah, whether it's Joseph, Hannah, David, uh, David, especially at the time of Goliath when he's coming to visit, uh, and uh, then Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Elijah, and over and over again, we see them patiently continuing on, even in afflictions and in trials and in problems and everything else, they continue on. Uh, and then I think about Hebrews 11, where it talks about, you know, the good things. Uh, and then it flips near the end. And uh, others at trial of cruel mockings and scourging. Yea, moreover, upon and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and mountains and in the dens and the caves of the earth. And these all, having received a good report through faith, received not the promise God having provided some better thing for us 
that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which just so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, we see right there, they endured, they kept going, they didn't quit no matter what happened, no matter what circumstance, they kept going. And that's a bunch of witnesses for us to look forward to. And not only them listed in Hebrews, but we see uh, many around us there of saints that have gone home to glory, that we watch them through the good times and through the hard times. They stuck with the Lord and the Lord stuck with them and they made it all the way to the end. And I look at examples like that and that reminds me that I can make it too. That God is still faithful when you're young. He's faithful when you're middle-aged and he's faithful when you're looking right over to cross over Jordan in death. Uh, he is faithful all the way across. And isn't that a blessing to think about? He's saying, hey, uh, I want you to think about Job. Now it's a hard book to read. I, I'll admit it. It, it feels long and it, it, there's a lot of uh, pain and suffering and everything and uh, his friends aren't very encouraging and, and not always telling the truth and he, he loses so much, his possessions, his family uh, and his health in a short time. But you know, one of the things that you think about in the whole book of Job, he's saying that you see that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And you think, well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound right when I look at the, the book of Job. But do you realize we see once we read the entire thing and look at it, that God had a purpose for that? God showed uh, not only the devil, uh, he was showing him that Job uh, was able and, and was, was, was willing to trust God, even if God took away the blessings, right? That's what we see in Job, because that's what Satan asked. You know, you, you blessed him, you put a hedge over him. Is he, you know, if you touch, if you allow me to touch him, is he going to curse you? Uh, and he doesn't do that, but the Lord had a purpose for that. It also allowed Job to grow, and that's a lot of times in our trials, we see the same thing. You know, it's painful in the middle of the trial, but afterwards we see that we've gained a closer relationship with God. But not only did he have a purpose, but he restrained. We see that as well. He restricted Satan. That's part of the mercy of God. He's saying, hey, I could have let him take him all the way to death, but he didn't. And then also the Lord sustained him the entire time. The Lord was with him. The Lord helped him all the way through to the end. He is merciful. And then you look at Job himself. He was a better man after the trial was done. He was closer to the Lord. He understood more about the Lord. He is more blessed. If you even look at material things in his family uh, afterwards, aren't you glad that he's, he loves us though? He cares for us. He shows us mercy. So we've got to endure through afflictions. And I was thinking about the last two verses of Psalm 27, 13 and 14. I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And you think about what he's talking about right here. He's saying, hey, the Lord is coming back. The Lord is coming for his church. And the Lord, uh, he will, he has gone away to prepare a place and he will bring us to him at some point, whether we close our eyes in death or whether he calls us home either way. But he's saying before that happens right now, I want you to be patient and patient doesn't mean just sitting around doing nothing. It means being actively patient like the farmer. 
And he's saying, I want you to root your and establish your hearts while you're waiting so that you're not moved by some deception or false teacher. Uh, and patience, I want you to encourage one another while you're waiting. And I want you to be patient even in afflictions, looking at all those around us that have been able to continue through the help of the Lord. And aren't you glad? Church, I'll sum it all up with this. We're going to make it. This is no time to quit. We're just around the finish line. And even if that finish line is another thousand years before he calls the church home, our life is but a vapor. And it won't be long before we're standing before our king. I'm going to ask everyone to stand tonight. We're going to open up the altar.